Yo, welcome to another episode of 699 per pound podcast where we usually talk about careers, but we have shifted our focus to the very real impact of COVID-19 on Asians and Asian Americans in the diaspora here in the U.S. and the worldwide and the in the, in the world and, the, and beyond, you know what I mean? All the way out to Pluto. But uh, thank you to all the fans and listeners that continue to support us. Please subscribe to follow our future COVID-19 related episodes. Let your quarantine group know about 699 per pound podcast. But yo, I know I just mentioned that, yo, we've been covering a lot of um, Asian guests um, the past <laughs> few episodes. But yo, I'm, I'm going to make a very special PSA right now, man. We have <laughs> the second white guest <laughs> ever in this podcast's history. And um, he's actually an expert in the main focus of our podcast's genesis, which is about occupation and jobs and all the details that goes beyond that. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, Jojo, who do we have today? Yeah. Well, this episode, we're joined by Jeff Seip. He is an international career coach with over 10 years of experience as a recruiter for Fortune 500 companies like Google. Wink, Ooh. wink. <laughs> say no more. That's it. That's all say you got to no say. There, all right. There's like the there's the most notorious uh, black box there in terms of recruiting. So we're in for a treat. Um, he does one-on-one coaching sessions. He helps his clients with the interview process and how to get hired, get inside the heads of recruiters. And we're actually going to talk about, you know, what do you do when you find yourself laid off or furloughed or when you're just trying to build a network and look at the next phase in your career. It's kind of a weird time to contemplate those things, but also a time where a lot of people are reflecting of like, you know, what do I really want to do? You know, what really fulfills me? Especially when all the distractions are gone, your work is really kind of making or breaking your day. So we're so excited to have Jeff on. Thank you so much for coming on, Jeff. Seriously. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Happy to be here. No problem. Um, Just before we get started, how are you doing and where are you right now? for our listeners to get some contact. Right now I'm located in San Clemente, which is in Southern California. And just think kind of the midpoint between San Diego and LA. Cool. I know that area very well. A lot of my friends went to UCI. (laughs) So lots of areas there. Um, So just to get started, my burning question is, how do you even, I want to get inside the recruiter's head right now. Just like with all the layoffs that has happened, so many Americans are out of a job and the space is more competitive than ever, but the jobs are pretty scarce. So if you can just talk from your perspective, just your observation about the whole situation, that would be great to start off. Yeah, and I think this is, it's just kind of more high level for life, right? We have to look at this situation and see the opportunity and mm-hmm. all. And so I think as people are out there and feeling scared and having all those emotions with what's going on, how do you flip it? How do you flip the coin? How do you flip the script and make it a positive for you? Because you're going to get up every morning and you're going to have a plan and you're going to go and really try and follow through with some really strong actions that are going to make you have success. And that's the opportunity that a lot of people have. And so I always 
try and take any situation and look at the positive. And that's what I'd, I'd love to do for the audience today is really talk about some of the positive steps they can take. Awesome. Oh, for, for sure. I mean, maybe I should have phrased it this way, but usually there's opportunity in crisis. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So do you, I mean, what about for you? Cause you know, you're a coach and you try to empower other people to help them with their search. Like, have you personally been experiencing more outreach and are you, you know, writing more pieces to help other people out? Like how has this affected you? It's a great question. And ironically, if I wasn't aware of the circumstances going on in the world, Mm -hmm. nothing has really changed for me. My business has stayed very consistent. So I haven't seen an uptick. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen a downtick. Mm -hmm. Um, I do believe that there is a potential downtick coming because some of the big tech companies um, have kind of acknowledged, including Sundar at Google, that they're going to slow down or stop hiring. Mm. Um, So I'm just kind of waiting to hear that and see that. Um, You mentioned a great point about how am I sharing? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I need to maybe do more of that, maybe a little bit more on the writing side of of things to really help people out. You know, I, I did release one video on YouTube to just kind of take a slightly different approach to COVID-19 and, and how people can look at the job search. And, and one of the things I'm always trying to do is just talk about some of the things that other people aren't talking about, mm-hmm. you know, making sure we're giving people good strategies to get through this because it, it is a tough time. For sure. And speaking of tough times, like, how do you... I'm just imagining myself as like maybe someone who's recently been laid off and I'm like, okay, I need to start building a network. And my instinct is to like, okay, like maybe set up some informationals, throw out some emails to people. But like, how do you even, what is your advice in like phrasing that outreach of just like, hey, I get that this is like uncertain and challenging time because like we obviously need to acknowledge it. And um, I think this is a time where it feels weird to you know, kind of be opportunistic, even though (coughs) because like it is a pandemic that's affecting a lot of people's lives, right? Like, so how do you kind of elegantly approach that intro? Um, You know, so just so like people are like, hey, like, because you never know whose headspace that person is at, right? Maybe they're personally affected or maybe they just don't have time for it right now. So how do you approach um, networking in this time? And what would your opening email be? Mm. Yeah, so I think it's it's a great, great question. And it's kind of like there's a two-tiered answer to this. First, you start with the warm people, right? The people you know, you start mm-hmm. with that warm net- network. And I know that that's going to be different for every person. But you reach out to the people who you think truly will help you. And of mm-hmm. course... That's not a unique strategy. So let's flip to the second strategy real quick, which is a give first model. So I give mm-hmm. this advice. Yo, to, hold up. Now I got to highlight yeah. that real quick before yeah, yeah. You, you, you go further, Jeff, because I like please. the way you said that, man. Can you say that again yeah. for us? Give first model. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That's what I emphasize to people, man. Nothing in the world is free, man. You know what I mean? And not just yeah, gonna constantly you're not gonna constantly get it. You know what I'm saying? You gotta give for you to have something in return. You know what I mean? But yeah. Of course, of course. So on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is gonna be your number one networking tool. And hey, it's a bad tool, 
right? The UI is terrible, but it's, but it's a monopoly and it's the thing we have to use. And so what I find is really successful on LinkedIn is this give first. So I always advise that people do something really simplistic. And that simplistic piece of advice is create a plan for how many people you're going to reach out to on a daily basis. So let's say it's five people. Let's say it's 10 people. Mm-hmm. And let's call them product managers. So you have 10 product managers. You you target a few companies. You target a few specific people. And you say, Sue, came across your profile. Profile looks awesome. Um, just wanted to share this really cool article on a new trend that's happening in product management. Hope you connect with me on LinkedIn. And it's that that's it. That's all you do. Mm-hmm. And you do that. 10 times a day for people in your target audience, people you want to connect with. And you repeat that over and over and over again. And it works. And I know this strategy works because I used it when I was laid off at the end of 2009. And this was the exact strategy that I used to get a job in 2010. Mm, Got it. Interesting. But yeah, mm -hmm. sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, please go ahead. Yeah. But the, the thing is, is that I, I give this advice all the time on a weekly basis. And what I tell everybody who I give this advice, I tell them, you won't do it mm. because mm. they don't. And the reality is, is that it, it's really, really simple and it does work. And I can even give a story of when I was at Google for five years, when you're at Google, you get hit up by everybody. And I got hit up by so many people on a daily basis, weekly basis, yearly basis. And one day this guy, he took the time to say, hey, Jeff, I came across this cool article. What do you think? And I said, I'm not even reading that article. How can I help you? Because Mm -hmm. you're the first person that's reached out to me and offered something instead of asking for something of me. Mm -hmm. And in five years at Google, only one person ever did that. And that is crazy. Mm. All right, man. I'm going to make sure my Google alerts is looking right (laughs) Um, so I could just have a plethora of articles ready to go. I love it for sure. This is might be a little bit of a departure, but would you say LinkedIn premium is worth it, especially for maybe someone who's just been laid off and is just like aggressively searching? Just a personal question, Jojo? (laughs) <laughs> no i am not doing that because that raises flags automatically <laughs> to your current got employer you. at least for me oh okay yeah. got you. Nah, someone I, who's looking yo i haven't really done much linkedin in such a long time that i don't even know if there's a huge difference between premium and just regular i always think any investment you can make um is a smart investment and you can I mean, it depends on how aggressive you want to go. I mean, you could even get LinkedIn Recruiter Lite, which is like $120 a month. You can get um, build-in tools. There's a tool that anybody can use, and I'm going to throw this one out there. There's a tool called Contact Out. Mm -hmm. And Contact Out has 30 days free. And Mm -hmm. in those 30 days free, um, it's awesome. You, it's a basically a plugin, and anybody's profile you go to on LinkedIn, you just click, and you'll get about a sixty to seventy percent hit rate on their email address. And it's again, it's thirty days for free, and there's a bunch of those services that give you free trials. But to anybody who's looking at their career, I mean, if you want to make a small investment in LinkedIn, I say do it. That investment will pay off tenfold. 
especially mm-hmm. if you can't reach somebody, like they're a third connection and you want to send them an in-mail. Yeah, absolutely. It's worth it. Yeah. I mean, I, see, how, wait, so how much does it cost to uh, go premium on a uh, LinkedIn? I don't know. Jo- Jojo, what is it? Maybe it's like 50 bucks a month or something. I think it depends. Uh, you're right, Jeff. There's like hierarchies. Mm-hmm. Um, hierarchies. I think, lol, Googling right now. <laughs> Got you. Got um, you. So and, but it's not like any more expensive than like going out yeah, one night in New York City, right? Yeah, it's no, like 25 yeah. a month. 25 yeah. a month. Oh, that's like basically paying for Hulu. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unless yeah. you have Spotify Premium. <laughs> Yo, I mean, like, come on, like twenty five dollars. That's like lunch in New York City. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yep. like I don't that's know, man. I don't yeah. know. I, I think it's well worth it if you're really serious about getting a job. Yeah, investment in yourself is is probably one of the pieces that people miss out in life the most. Because yeah, if you think about, it, I mean, what is a what is a night out in New York? I mean, I've been out in New York. That's not a cheap night out. And even like you said, lunch. I mean, if you go down and sit and have lunch and have a drink with lunch or anything, I mean, it's it's expensive. So, For sure. For sure. Yeah. So let's put this scenario. So let's say, um, you know, we get, we bait somebody <laughs> or mm-hmm. we catch someone on the hook and from, you know, an article and like we use your tactic and they say, oh yeah, hey, reach out, right? Um, and you reach out and you don't hear anything. <laughs> like, I want to know, like, how, how frequent is a follow-up too frequent? Because understanding that recruiters have so many people they're talking to, depending on what time of day you reach out, I'm sure they'll be like, oh, I'll get to it later, and maybe they forget. Do you have any advice on, like, the cadence of which you kind of kindly check in? Yeah, let me answer that in two separate ways. So I think definitely with that LinkedIn strategy, I would not make it too recruiter specific. I would actually make it more focused towards the role you're interested in because those Mm. people are actually maybe more likely to connect with you and push the potential recruiter to chat with you. Um, The the cadence question is a fantastic question. I mean, to me, I would probably be a little bit pushier and a little more obnoxious. (laughs) But I mean, I I think if you haven't heard back in a couple of weeks, and especially if they made some sort of trigger like they connected with you or they they acknowledged you then i would probably send them something else i'd say hey guess what i found another good article what do you think Mm. about this one and so eventually you are just trying to win people over and it is a percentages game like you can't just go out and reach out to 20 people or 30 people and that's why i love the plan And the plan, again, I think a good plan is somewhere in that 10 a day range. And you Mm -hmm. just set that plan and you say, hey, I'm going to hit 10 people up today. And if it's at 6 p.m. that I finish, if it's 10 a.m. that I finish, fine. But you just always stick to that daily plan or weekly plan. Um, But the cadence follow-up is tricky. And then what also is really tricky is the segue. And the segue is into that opening, that little something that maybe they have that you want and maybe they know you want it. So the biggest thing, if you were going to reach out to a potential hiring manager or recruiter and you know there's an open position, is information. So mm. if I was interested in a role, let's let's say I wanted to go get a recruiter role at Facebook and I had happened to connect with a potential hiring manager, let's call her Jane. I would say Jane, you know, it's been great sharing articles with you and connecting with you. And I think I'm going to segue right into the thank you. Um, I've been looking at this position. 
I feel like I'm a match for these three reasons. I attached my resume to this message and this is my availability for the next three weeks. I'm available between four and seven East Coast time every single day for the next three weeks. And so you have eliminated any potential that they would have any follow-up questions that they would need anything else from you. You've presented all the data and information to them. And I think that is also a huge step. They don't have to do any of the guesswork. They have all your info. Right. No, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, you know, you're not trying to flirt with these people. You know what I mean? Like, you're not trying to go back and forth, you know what I mean? Like, seeing, like, okay, like, this person's, I'm going to just, like, kind of, like, hold off on it, wait two days before I contact back. Like, nah. <laughs> like, just hit them with the info, see if you got it. If not, just move it forward. You know what I'm saying? It's a big, it's a big ocean out there, man, and full of opportunities. Planktons, fishes, whales, clams. <laughs> you know, what I mean, a whole lot of a whole lot of variety for you to eat. You know what I mean? But um, I mean, so with that said, though, I, I you know, I, I know Jojo kind of asked uh, a lot of the specifics of these questions, but I feel like for some of our listeners, kind of need to know who you are for them to um know, like, okay, cool, like Jeff, like it seems like you talk a good game. But why should we trust you? You know what I'm saying? Like what what kind of um um uh experiences you've had for us to like trust your advice. So I mean, you've mentioned that um you know, the financial uh the recession that happened in 2009 costed your job and um you know, you kind of took on this new strategy. Uh when did you um start working at Google and like did you always work in the recruiter role? Yeah, it's a great question. I did a lot of things before I, I landed in the recruiter role. But I think, you know, what would be really important for the audience? And I think a couple points that would really resonate for the audience were, let's flash back to 2010. I think I did a few things really well. And let's go really creative here. So one thing that I did was I volunteered. Um, and the volunteer work really just led to some interesting connections that were unanticipated. But the two other things I did were when I, when I went to like the networking stuff, like if somebody was like, okay, what's, what's your pitch? Like, you know, like, tell me about you. I'd say, no, that's not what I'm here for. I'm going to learn all about you and I'm going to see if I can help you. So going back to that giving model, but the second piece is, being really unique. So one of the things I did, I was asked to go to this networking event where we had to pitch ourselves mm -hmm. for 60 seconds. So I was like so caught up on the word pitch. And so I actually, what I did was I bought a baseball for everybody. I wrote <laughs> my LinkedIn, my email, and I walked in and I threw a baseball at everybody. And the guy who was running the network event offered me a job the same day. Um, and, and I actually didn't take that job. I took another job where they actually didn't want to hire me, but they hired me because I wrote a two to three page business plan on how to build their social media marketing. And so wow. one of the things that I just want to let the audience know is don't stick in this very narrow box. Like if you want to get a job now, and, and unfortunately, if you have landed in that position of being out of work, you got to be creative. If they say, I'm not interviewing you, you say, oh, well, I just came up with this one pager on how you could really have a bigger impact on LinkedIn. I wanted to share it with you. See what that does. You got to, I mean, obviously the reach outs is just one way that you can do it. it. It's a big level of just getting really creative and really stretching yourself 
And the worst case scenario, you know, is that they don't respond. But it's it's worth trying to get creative. Um, I don't think I really answered the question. No, I mean, no, I mean, you didn't you didn't answer my question, but you gave us so much more gems of like different methods and, you know, basically just keeping yourself active in these times, you know. Um, But I but but for the for the sake of the audience, I kind of just want to kind of get a little bit more uh, insight on just kind of what kind of work that you've done, um, you know, when you were recruiting at uh at, at google or whatever other companies that you might have been at cool great question so i started my career which will, doesn't even show up on my linkedin profile at aerotech so at aerotech it's a big staffing firm i did like manufacturing then the next recruiting gig i had i was doing high level execs like people who had been presidents or ceos of companies then I moved on to doing finance, recruiting people who worked at like the big four companies. Then I went and I started recruiting salespeople and they told me they needed help recruiting software engineers. And that's when Google reached out to me when they saw I was recruiting software engineers. And so from there, I spent half of my career at Google. I recruited three specific types of roles at Google. I recruited program managers and technical program managers. Mm-hmm. I recruited software engineers and software engineer managers. And then I, I mean, recruited... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, not at all. I mean, I feel like, you know, just for for just for people tuning in right now, like yeah. those positions that you mentioned for Google, those are like, from what I heard from some of the insiders at Google, they were like, yo, that's some like holy grail situations you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. if you could land one of those positions yo you good man you know what i'm saying like it's a down payment on a crib not too long after so um you know but but you yourself as a recruiter you might not be a i don't know like a technical person that understands all the specifics so how do you communicate or like vet out people that are spe- that are uh fitting for the role when you per you yourself perhaps might not be an engineer or a product manager or have you? It's a great, it's a great question. I think a big part of it is like a, a wanting to learn and being engaged and, and trying to really understand the basics and needs, right? So it's not about, it's not about, Hey, how do you code in Python? It's not about that, but it's understanding like the importance of being able to do some backend coding in Python and how that's going to impact the organization and really getting the candidate or the person that's interested in the role to confirm that they can actually do that skill set. So I think for the recruiters that do a really good job, they really work with the hiring managers to understand the needs of the role. And hopefully they're doing that back to the candidate side. So the candidates have a really good feel and connectivity to what they can expect. And so that recruiter relationship like I would say, be tougher on your recruiters, people. Like, just be tough on them. Make sure that you know everything, that you're asking tough questions, that you're pushing because that's your responsibility and that's going to make this job search for you better if you're making sure that you're connecting the dots earlier on. Well, actually, that's a very good point. Before, um, I know we got a bunch of other questions, but before we, I, I kind of wanted to ask you this. So, I haven't been working for a big company uh, for for many years now, you know, but I I still get hit up by recruiters here and there because, you know, they found me, found me through LinkedIn, whatever. And um, 
I don't know how I should talk to a recruiter. Like, do I, t- do I ask them in the first time that we speak, like, okay, how much are they trying to pay? Like, is that like a <laughs> kosher conversation to have? Like, you know, what is like the decorum or the mannerism that I should take when I speak or get approached by a recruiter in the first place? Yeah. So if it comes to comp, I think it's totally fair to ask, can you share the salary range? That is absolutely a fair question because <laughs> that's something you want to know right off the bat, right? If you're, if they're not even close, it's a fair question. Will they answer that question? Probably not, but it's definitely a fair question to ask. And then it's a, why did you reach out to me? What's the why? What intrigued you about my background? Why do you think I'm a fit? So it's not always about you asking, let, or it's not always about them asking. You get to ask. You can ask the questions. It's a two-way streak. And I think that sometimes candidates give up something just so they can have these conversations. And you shouldn't give up anything. You should make sure that you're asking all the tough questions. So I would ask the why. And then I think it's totally appropriate to say, are you able to provide the salary range for this role? Got you. Got you. Got it. Don't be shy, you guys. I used to be yeah. really shy about that too. About like, yeah. uh, is it like going? It's like coming on too strong. But I learned very quickly because I've had an experience where I went all the way to the end, um, and then they shared the salary, and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So I was like, oh no, I should have asked in the beginning. Um, oh, no. So. I mean, number one, thank you so much for sharing your personal experiences too, because I think a lot of us are sometimes obsessed with like, quote unquote, the right way of, you know, the right way of writing the email or the right way to dress or to present yourself um, to these recruiters. And, you know, a lot of colleges will have guidelines or Forbes and everyone has an opinion on it. And I think what you emphasize is kind of like, you just need to be authentic in your way. And and that is what's really going to stand out. And maybe it's not something that was written up in Business Insider or something that your college counselor never told you to do. But you know, you're never going to get anywhere while just kind of fading into the background. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Yeah. And if we could like maybe segue. So I'm, I'm, I like thinking in terms of like these steps. So, you know, we kind of went through the outreach portion. We kind of went through the follow-up portion. Um, I think a lot of the things that people might be wondering is like, okay, well, interviewing is going to change, right? It's going to be pretty much virtual during this time. Like I'm not going to be able to shake someone's hand and show how firm my handshake is. I can't give them this vibe. There might be technical difficulties that make the conversations awkward. Um, What are some of your tips when approaching this kind of virtual era of recruiting and making your first impression? No, this is very good because I recently got approached by a lady who mm. wanted to recruit me via um, <laughs> Zoom, and I never even used Zoom in my life. And um, I was in my Download. pajamas. Yeah, like, because <laughs> I thought she just wanted to have a casual conversation. I didn't think, because in my head, like, I'm old school, so I'm in my head. It's like, okay, cool. Like, if you're trying to do an interview, is either the phone or in person. I didn't think that she wanted to look at me. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? So I was like, why does this lady want to do a Zoom call? You know what I mean? See my face and all that. And, like, my girl next to me was like, yo, you really did you know that you just had an interview and i was like oh was that an interview <laughs> <laughs> like you know what i'm saying nah, he but needed please. this interview before oh no yeah, nah, please jeff please go ahead yeah and so I, I think um so one thing that's kind of funny that i'm just going to mention right off the bat from a connectivity issue is like seriously like 
sit right next to the router, right? Mm. Sit right next to the router. And if you don't have good Wi-Fi, upgrade, right? Because what's the value of a, of a job interview or getting a job? I mean, it's worth it to upgrade for 10 bucks a month. And I know times are tight and things are tough, but these little things are super, super critical. So when we talk about the technical piece, you got to test that beforehand. You got to test what your background looks like. You got to test all that stuff. So that's just something that I want to throw out there right off the bat. But mm. yo, I never even expected that. My man said, yeah. sit <laughs> next to the router. Yeah. Yo, yeah. No, that's a gem though. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely something that came from experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and never make an excuse that you're like you're having technical difficulties that day or you can't do it. So I used to I used to interview a ton of recruiters to who were trying to get hired at Google. And when they were like, Oh, I couldn't get the video working. Do you want to do a phone call? I said, No, we're gonna we're gonna move forward with other candidates. Right? Oh my because God. Because you are just acknowledging that either you can't get it to work or you just couldn't get out of your PJs or whatever it was, you know. And so um, the technical piece, it's just a good piece to cover right off the bat. But um, the biggest thing is getting back and reflecting back to what we talked about earlier. You have to look at the video interviews as a huge opportunity, not as a downturn. So let's talk about a few specific items that I think are super helpful and and items that I think are important to call out. So one is notes. You can absolutely have notes in a video interview. The biggest thing is where do you put them? And how have you kept them so simplistic that they don't take your mind to a different place so you get away from the question being asked of you so you lose your train of thought? And so Mm. if you are going to have notes, I say have them down below. And when you write out the interview question, because you should always hand write out the interview question when it's asked of you, have those notes right down there and just kind of look at them really, really quickly. So the notes piece Hey, when your on-site interview is now via video, you could not have notes before. So that's a huge advantage. Um, Secondly, and one that I want to really encourage the audience to be super proactive about, is let's say you've made it through that initial stage and you have your slate of on-site interviews, which are now going to be virtual. Let's say it's four interviews, for example. Just tell your recruiter right off the bat, you know what? I really don't mind if you schedule those over a couple days. I know that would probably be easier for the interviewers. And then we don't have to try and mess with everybody's calendars and squeeze it all in in one day. We can squeeze it in over a couple days. Huge advantage for your brain. Our brains are not meant to process information for 45 minutes back to back to back to back. So if you can split it over a couple of days, you have two advantages. One, Your brain has to work less during that given day. And secondly, within those interviews, you might learn a little bit of information about the role, about the company, and you can update your examples. You can update your notes to have a little bit of strategic advantage in how you answer those questions the next day. So that's really the second item. And then I would just say, third is I get some complaints from my clients. They're like, I love using the whiteboard during the onsite interview buy a whiteboard, set up your computer on a chair, on a table, and then be able to use the whiteboard during the interview. The only last piece I'll say with that is if you're going to do that, have a dual setup. Meaning if you had to do two or three interviews, you're going to have one setup where you have the laptop up up high. 
So you have mm. the perfect angle on the whiteboard, but you're also going to be able to move it so you can move to a seated position really quickly if you need to. Because if you were to stand for like three to back-to-back interviews, that might be kind of tough. Yo, this is... Hey, listeners, I, I think I think y'all need to send us some donations, man, after this episode, for real, because so many gems have just been dropped just off the top of the dome and tone by Jeff. You know what I'm saying? Like the whiteboard? Yo, I didn't even expect that. Yo, like, bro, that's crazy. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Such a good tip. Um, whiteboard sales are going to go up after this episode. Oh, um, yeah, so please yeah, sponsor sure. us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's that's such good advice so thank you so much and i'm curious so you have it when you're coaching people like one-on-one is that all on the side job or are you focusing on that right now yeah so the coaching business is my primary business and then i mm-hmm. just have i have one um recruiting client in the bay awesome so when you just because like understanding like kind of our demographic which is mostly asian american you know we're both asian american so we could definitely benefit from this too but in especially working in tech where um they might be overrepresented or they might be over indexed in certain positions just like looking at the data here um i'm just curious if you notice any patterns with um, Asian or Asian Americans uh, clients that you have of maybe they share with you some of the troubles or roadblocks that they've been going through that might be unique to that demo just because stereotypes and just because maybe um, certain things that might hold them back based on how the recruiter sees them. Do you have any examples that you can share with us? Yeah, and and also just to add on to that. Sorry, sorry for adding on to the um, no you know. problem. Cause, um, like I was in Seattle and, you know, there's Mm. like a plethora or a platoon of uh, tech bros, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you know, like you said, like you mentioned a lot of South Asian brothers, a lot of East Asian Mm. brothers, um, a lot of them straight off the, straight off the plane from like India or China or Korea, where, where have you, you know what I mean? Like some of them, they probably don't even speak like native i i mean they speak fluent english but you know they they might have like a lot of cultural dif- uh, differences um you know I'm, I'm curious to know like what kind of tips you would provide for people like that as well you know what i mean people that are not like born and raised in america um great great question and actually i think that's because i don't actually hear a lot of concerns from the Asian American community in terms of like what's happening with the interview process. But I will say for those that didn't grow up in the U S and especially for those where English is their second language, Mm. it becomes a confidence issue. Mm. And so it's, and I, what happens surprisingly is their language skills are much better than they think they are. And so I think that would be a huge recommendation and suggestion is have trust, have trust in your language skills and know that, hey, if it's not 100%, you're probably like 98% of the way there. And if you fumble through something, your audience is going to have patience for that because a lot of Americans have grown up and they can only speak English, right? And so there is a true appreciation for somebody coming to this country whose English English is their second language, it's their third language, it's their fourth language, right? And so that confidence in oneself to believe that their language skills are good enough and understanding that within that landscape that there are many others that are like them where 
they still maybe struggle occasionally to communicate in English, that's okay. Like, th- like that's, that is going to be a part of the community. And I think that's, that's kind of cool, right? It's cool that people are coming from different backgrounds and different places and that they worked really hard to learn again, a second, third, fourth language. Mm, I mean, according yeah. to that, like English is my third language. And, you know, I speak that with the utmost confidence. So, uh, I mean, I should be able to land a job somewhere then, you know? But uh, I guess another question that I have also is, at least in the industry that I'm in, and I actually helped put up kind of like a leadership seminar uh, amongst like Asian Americans who were in the C-suite. And they talked about how there is a... Uh, Asians are overrepresented in junior roles, like analysts, um, technical roles. But then as you move up the chain, um, it becomes disproportionate. And obviously, this applies to a lot of other minorities. But then amongst Asians, it's like the most dismal in terms of how many people are in the entry level, but then how many people actually end up climbing up the ladder. Right. So I was just curious. bamboo, Bamboo ceiling, right? Yeah, the bamboo thing, exactly. So I was just curious from your experience at being other companies, like, you know, as you maybe you have a great pool of candidates and who really have no trouble getting in, in like the entry level. But then when you get to that managerial level where, you know, maybe you, there are people are looking for very specific characteristics. Um, have you noticed um, the way, maybe not you, but other recruiters have maybe biased um, maybe Asian candidates. Um, have you ever experienced that at all? And it could totally be not true. <laughs> you're in like you're you were in the tech industry, um, so. But I was always curious about that, like how it works out in the real world. It's a great it's a great question. I never personally experienced bias, but like let's call it what it is. It's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, like mm-hmm. you said, once we get to the top levels it gets really white. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's just the reality. So I think a, maybe a better approach would be, what are some of the strategies or what's a, what's a couple of strategies that could potentially start to change that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think maybe one of the big ones, especially as we talk to maybe a little bit more of the junior audience that you have is how are you really pressing to work on your communication skills and make sure that you're doing the things that are, are going to be looked at for leaders. So like doing something really simplistic like Toastmasters or asking your current manager or lead to lead a project or run meetings. It's really about, when it comes to leadership, it really is about stretching yourself. But I think absolutely, let's not brush over it. I mean, it exists. There's definitely a difference at kind of the junior level, mid-tier level as compared to the upper level. Yeah. And another question that I have too is, and maybe it's because I'm going through this kind of transition as well of that, like I'm an Asian woman, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And I do look a little younger. Um, And I sometimes feel like a little self-conscious about that like even though my work speaks for itself like sometimes um you know people would mistake me for an intern or something like that even though i'm not like dressed like super young or anything 
And I tend to be very enthusiastic. And I think sometimes that comes off as being junior in that like, oh, she's green. She has so much energy, you know, as people go up the chain and are part of the workforce, you kind of get a little jaded. Um, so I think those are kind of the things that I've been combating lately. And I was curious about what your advice would be, especially now. I feel like in my career, I should be looking for director roles. Like I have over like seven years of experience, but I still kind of get this. Maybe it's like an intern thing that I struggle with and I need to work on my confidence but sometimes I can't help but feel that um, that might be how I come off so do you just have kind of any advice for people who are looking for more mid management level jobs yeah so I think the number one piece is is first of all when it comes to like level and title and all that stuff mm. I would say more like scope of position and overall mm-hmm. opportunity. Don't worry as much as like, is it manager versus director? That that is less important. And obviously, mm-hmm. the bigger the company you go to, like I hire, you know, at Google, I hired VPs and C-levels into manager jobs. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think one of the things that I really see in leaders and something that I've truly worked on in my career, especially over the last few years is the way you're seen as a leader is questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously this is such a great platform because you <laughs> because you're so you're forced into this role of just continuing to ask question after question. I think that that's maybe one way and something I always want people to be thinking about in terms of leadership. How do we ask great questions and how do we just sit back and listen? Right. So listening and questions and maybe so maybe you dial down that enthusiasm just a little bit and really dig in more with questions and listening. Maybe that approach and not I don't want you to change you because you've got to be you. Mm. Right. But maybe taking a little bit of that approach for you or somebody else who may be feeling similar and having a similar feeling to what you feel. That might be a strategy you might want to take. Cool. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Jojo again, like uh, a lot of coaching right now, direct coaching. (laughs) uh, I know. I'm I'm squeezing every minute of this, guys. (laughs) Ah, for sure. Um, So when it comes down to, um, I guess negotiations, right? Like uh, once, like there's uh, actually, let's do this. Um, Sure. For a lot of the listeners that we have. a good chunk of them, um, they're younger, they might be in school or they might have uh, just gotten out of school. Um, and landing a job at somewhere like a major tech company, I mean, a, the major tech company like Google would be like a career goal or at least an aspiration for a lot of people, right? Um, what What's like a typical interview process for a company like that for some of the roles that you've listed like product manager project manager uh engineer so on and so forth great question so typically the way that most of these big tech companies are starting is they're really all kind of defaulted almost all back to phone interviews a lot of them had pushed to video interviews for that first interview the first interview is going to be video or phone and it's usually just one If that one goes really well, typically they're going to trigger the next step as on-sites, which obviously right now are virtual. And in those on-sites, it's typically kind of the three, four, or five interviews. These big tech companies are not over-interviewing because there's this kind of internal 
memo going through that says law of diminishing returns, meaning more interviews does not provide better data. It actually provides worse data. So oh. these companies, yeah, these companies <laughs> tend <laughs> to interview less. Yeah. So um, I did have a client in uh, Singapore recently who um, Facebook put him through nine interviews and he was like, I'm going for my ninth. And I said, you know, and that was a lot for one role, but they, he just, and he did get to the offer stage and it's, it's all good for him. But you know, it's just, that's uncommon typically Yo, for these first roles. Nine yeah. stages. That's like fucking yeah. trying to beat the, sh- the 36 <laughs> chambers in the Shaolin, like on some yeah. like Kung Fu movie flick, like nine stages just to get to the negotiation phase. Well, so nine total interviews, but still, it's oh. a it's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a so lot. it's typically in that in the with the phone or first video interview, it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five or six interviews. So it's actually not the big tech actually don't tend to over interview. Um, it's it's not too bad, but it's just sometimes the length of the process can be really long. Like the Googles of the world can take three months plus um, easily. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I guess you need a lot of stamina to just to begin with. So if you're, (laughs) you know, like a lot of mental stamina, physical, and just, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, have something going on for yourself just in the meantime as well. But, um, yeah, uh, go ahead, Jojo. It's crazy. No, it's craziness. Um, Thank you for sharing all of this. I feel very triggered because I've been on that side where I went through pretty much like nine interviews and I had a huge case study that I had to do where I spent like a whole week on it. And I know there are some companies that ask you kind of like how you did, Jeff, where you gave them like a two you know page business plan and sometimes they want it in a PowerPoint form. And sometimes I ask myself, man, this is how they get all their ideas. <laughs> it, it, that's actually um, that's actually a real issue in the Bay. Um, yeah. they're, they're saying that they're um, for product manager roles. They're having people create business plans and they don't actually have a position. They're just stealing their ideas. Yeah. I mean, I oh, believe in it. Oh, shit. <laughs> so how, how do you even like decipher that? You know, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. And I also just didn't want to skip over the initial question, which is I'm, I'm happy to spend a minute or two talking about negotiation. Oh, if please. That's something. Sure. Yeah. Please. Yeah, um, please. The biggest thing that I want everyone to know, especially the younger audience that's thinking about going after their first or second job is you always negotiate. Always, 100% of the time, because the worst case scenario is they say no, and that's it. That's all it is. You always try and push and know that there's typically your best push points. Let's talk about big tech companies. The best push points, stock, sign-on, and potentially bonus. So like a company like Amazon does two-year sign-on bonuses. Mm -hmm. So you can, anything that comes in kind of that sign-on bonus form or anything in stock, that's where they're going to have the most flexibility on base. It's almost a waste of time. You can get a little bit more, but on stock and sign-on, you you can get a lot more. Um, But you always negotiate. And I think you always go in with a strategy, meaning that like, I know if I was to ever go back into the workforce that I would negotiate twice for any offer, meaning I would say no twice. Um, and that's just my strategy. But the last piece I want people to know is the company is not going to take the job away because you negotiate. 
that has, I literally have never seen that happen in my entire career. And I had a guy when I was at Google ask for $2 million a year for a manager job. Oh, and, so, and so I'm t- and I didn't pull the offer for him. I, I asked him why he thought that he should get paid that. But, mm-hmm. um, but just know that you're not going to get that pulled, but you always negotiate always 100% of the time. For a manager job, my man asked for two milli. Damn, Google got it like that. <laughs> like, yo, like, <laughs> Jesus. Nah, but yeah. that's yeah. that's a great, I mean, I just wanted to uh, emphasize, I mean, the mm-hmm. stock and the sign-on bonus uh, base, don't even waste your time too much, but the company won't quote you off. I, I feel like all these are uh, excellent points, Jeff. Yeah, and I guess maybe to add my two cents, and Jeff, feel free to build on it too, but I've, I've had experience and good advice from people who say, you know, and they're, if they're not willing to budge on anything, you know, just stay positive and maybe say like, hey, like, um, what if I wanted to take some classes or what if, um, you know, there are some memberships at um, organizations, like, would you be able to cover the fee, you know, if it helps advances, you know, the company? Um, like, I mean, this is like a rogue example and probably shouldn't be replicated, but I know some people who've asked for like Soho House memberships to be mm-hmm. covered or, um, you know, some people who said, um, if that's the case, I would love to negotiate like a once a week work from home. So there are things that's not monetary that could also be negotiated. 100%. Absolutely. And that's why you always negotiate because you try and negotiate on everything. I want you to get more compensation. That's the goal. But if you mm-hmm. can negotiate other things, it's just it's worth asking. And then if somebody comes back and says, oh, we can't do that. A great follow-up question is, have you ever done it before? Mm. Because if you ask that question and they pause, because if they've done it before, they're going to they're gonna pause. There's going to be a pause there, meaning it's possible, meaning you should be asking for it. So if they mm-hmm. pause, but just definitely ask them, have you ever done anything like that before? Because also I can tell you quickly and personally, um, I negotiated a sign-on bonus with Google and then I was trying to get somebody hired and the compensation team said, we don't give sign-on bonuses to contractors because I was started as a contractor and I got converted and I said, yes, you do because I got one. Mm. And so so I was able Damn. to like, so the reality is, is that no, that was very, yeah, it's very <laughs> uncommon. But if you ask them that question, it's a great question because you'll catch them off guard and likely put them in a little tricky spot. And then the last piece with negotiation that's just so critical, gracious and kind, just be so nice about it. Because if you come in with such a positive tone and pitch, you're just much more likely to get something because recruiters like working for nice people. And if you're super nice, much higher chance that they'll try and work harder for you. Makes total sense. Um, thank you for hitting that nail on the head, Jeff. Sure, um, sure, for sure. So before we kind of wrap stuff up, I really wanted to know, what are some of your pet peeves? Uh, I'm sure you've dealt with so many different types of people, have recruited for other jobs. I'm sure you have some things that recur over and over again, and you're like, ah, not again. Something that our listeners can make sure they avoid. Yeah, so I I think maybe the best way to approach this, just kind of thinking about the audience and their needs, is is that that LinkedIn model, you mm-hmm. know, and and people are just 
people want everything and that's okay. And I don't, I don't really have a problem with people asking, but it's just like when you ask for the world and you ask people to just do what's just so extraordinary for somebody they don't know, you have to kind of question and ask yourself, would you do this for your best friend, let alone somebody <laughs> you don't know? So I think, especially on LinkedIn, you know, I just have so many people reach out to me and they're like, do this video. And I'm just like, it's, well, that's, you know, each video to, it doesn't seem like a lot because it's not highly produced, but con- concept to editing to finishing, you know, it's like 12 hours per video. So just asking me to do a video, mm. um, that's a, that's a pretty big ass. That's a really long work day. Right. And so that's a big pet peeve. And then I think secondly, if you, I want to go back to that earlier point, if you are going to reach out and you are going to go past this giving first model, if you want to reach out about a job, give that person all the information they need. So your resume, your availability, your best email, your best phone number, the position or positions you want with the specific links and the reasons why you're a fit for those roles. Because then they don't have any questions for you. You have covered any potential question they might have or initial question they might have. So you can get past that. At Google, I cannot tell you how many people on a weekly basis would say, hey, Jeff, get me a software engineer job. And it's like, well, I don't have a resume. I don't have your availability. And no, I'm not going to do that because that's, that's because there was no effort. Um, and the funniest one, and I'll just put this anecdote in there at Google. I got a lot of messages saying, Jeff, get me a software engineering job at Facebook. And I was like, Oh no, (laughs) (laughs) they hadn't even changed the message. They were just copying and pasting and just sending it to so many people that they forgot to change it from Facebook to Google. (laughs) Oh man. man. (laughs) I'm like cringing for that person. (laughs) Oh man. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, goodness. Well, I also know, I mean, we talked about it briefly in the beginning, but you have a YouTube channel and you really are super generous with this information. Um, I was curious, like what has compelled you to be so generous with your experience and to make these types of videos and provide resources? Oh, thank you for that question. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I can really tell you again, always really short with the story, but um, I was in my place in Maui. Uh, it was October of 2018, and I was watching a really bad YouTube video on interviewing, and I freaked out. <laughs> I threw on a hat. I went out to my lanai, and I, uh, I, I posted a really bad video. I mean, it was <laughs> terrible. It was like 30, 30 mile an hour winds. I had snot running down my face. I mean, but, but, the, but the idea kind of was, um, people don't have enough good information. And, and the number one thing for me is they don't have enough original information. It's mm-hmm. just really repetitive. So one of the things when you go to the source, like if you're reading an article or you're watching a YouTube video, what's that person's background? Almost all the articles that you'll read on any sort of recruiting or interviewing, I, I've done this millions of times. Um, that person, they're a writer. So they've actually never been in the arena. They've never recruited. They've never been a hiring manager. So they're just regurgitating what other people say. Mm-hmm. And so I got really inspired and my whole goal in every video, and I kind of say this in my really crappy trailer, which is I just, I want to give one unique thing to the audience every single week, 
one mm. thing that's not being talked about somewhere else so that if you do come to my very, if you're part of my very small audience, you get something out of it. You get something that you're not going to get somewhere else. And, and that's inspiring me. And then just like what you guys are doing, I'm a big advocate of the compound effect, right? Like mm. you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And, and if you do it and you do it well, just like you guys are, people will find you. They'll find you over time and it doesn't always happen as quickly as you want it to happen. But the compound effect is really important. And I, I always continue to produce. And lastly, giving stuff away for free, honestly, it's the best way to make money. You give mm. it all, you give it away for free. And if 1% of your audience comes back and pays you for it, mm. then you're going to make a good living. Wow. I like the last one, man. I feel like that's a gem <laughs> right there, man. Uh, Yo, yeah. the best way to make money is giving the shit away for free. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that, man. Which means our podcast will eventually make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, nah, and then the compound effect as well. You know, we've been we've been yes. pumping these out, so I know it's gonna <laughs> eventually hit. Um, yeah. but I mean, with with all that said, though, um, you know, like we we ask all of our guests two uh, questions. Um, okay. These are our go-to questions that we ask all of our guests. The first question is, what is the most significant relationship in your life? Yeah, and so if I if I was putting on my interviewer hat, mm. I would absolutely not answer that question. And I would ask you about 50 follow-up questions to really <laughs> chop it apart and get at the core of what you were really asking. But, um, you know, when I hear that question... Yeah, I would want to say, well, what do you mean by significant and what mm. do you mean by relationship and, and really try and establish those items. But for me, I would say I have three significant relationships, um, you know, and, and number one is always the relationship with yourself. Mm. And um, Jim Rohn, I think, said it best when he said, um, he said, I'm going to take care of me for you. And so what he really meant by that was if you take care of yourself first, then you can have value for everybody else. So it all starts with you and whether that's physical, mental, um, big shout out to my parents. My mom was one of those people who said, you can do anything, you can do anything. And it was so repetitive throughout my whole life that I just believed it. Right. And, and I love that. And then my wife, uh, she puts up with me, so that's that's pretty significant. You know, she she really <laughs> takes care of me in every facet, and 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 we are a team, and it's just the two of us. So, um, you know, our our families aren't in California, so yeah, she's she's an amazing person in my life. So, you know, for it, it's all three of those things. But I mm. think I think again, if if people really focused on taking care of themselves, they could have so much impact for other people if they stop worrying so much about everybody around them because. Typically, what happens is when you let go of yourself, you can't be impactful for others. Mm, yeah, when you don't have knowledge yourself, you can't really mm. uh, talk to other people about And You can't talk shit about other people if you don't have knowledge yourself. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And it's something that I think we try to uh, encourage our audience to think about, too, because um, I think in our experience, sometimes it's really easy to like blame it on certain some circumstances. Like, you know, my, my parents would never let me do this or I'm never going to be able to do that. And I think, you know, trying to get everybody to think about 
how like you're responsible for yourself and your happiness and you owe it to yourself is really important and you can't make other people an excuse and you have to really go for it that's what we try to champion so thanks for reiterating that for our audience um the most important relationship truly is with yourself um but before we truly wrap this up we do have one more question that we ask all of our guests and it's what's your personal mantra Amazing. And so um, it's actually, it, it's actually exactly what you just said. Um, it's basically like, it, it's what I just spoke about before and, mm. and coupled with what you just said, which is kind of this self belief coupled with no excuses. If you look at some of the most successful people in the world, and success is a big word, it, it has a lot of, it has a lot of different meanings. But you know, there are so many people who grew up with nothing, had every reason to live in a ditch and never do anything with their lives, but they believed in themselves and they didn't make excuses. And those, those two items are really kind of the way I live. I just, I just, if I ever catch myself making an excuse, I say no, you know, and, and I actually, I'm going to share a quick personal thing that's just kind of crazy. Like I was doing a zoom call with some old buddies of mine, uh, on Friday, and we're just kind of chatting and like one of my buddies called me out and I actually like I broke down mm. because because he called me out and he's like, you know, you could be a better friend. And I was like, how could I ever make an excuse and say that I wasn't like being a, a good friend? That's how he felt, mm-hmm. how he felt. I had to honor how he felt and I felt really bad and I apologized. I said, I can't make any excuses for that. The only thing I can do is promise to be a better friend to you mm-hmm. for the rest of my life, you know, so um, I love I love the no excuses motto and just you always have to believe in yourself. Hmm. Wow, man. You can't do everything. No excuses. Yo, man, you're like a bowl of positivity, brother. <laughs> Maybe it's the San Diego weather, man. I don't know. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Um, it is gonna be it's gonna be pretty nice this weekend. So <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, nah, but with that said though, uh thank you, Jeff, so much for um you know, sharing your knowledge, so much insight, so much gems. Um, really appreciate, uh, you know, all the knowledge that you have uh, shared with us. Um, but uh, I mean, with that said, is there anything else that you would like to plug before we wrap this up? No, I just want to say thank you to you guys. What you're doing is is awesome, and it's and remember that you're in a competitive landscape for a reason because people people love this right like we're, we're getting back to this real audio focused platform where we can be walking or we can be in our cars or we can be in the subway and we can just be listening and so i just i want to encourage you guys to keep this awesome platform i think you guys have a really good feel for each other and i just i just sincerely appreciate you guys uh taking the time to chat with me today no, I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much, man. Uh, I, I like the fact that uh, you mentioned early on, too, that uh, give first and then expect a return way later. You know what I mean? I really yeah, like absolutely. that. Yeah, nah, but with that said, I'm going to give you out to this world, man. I mean, you could <laughs> look for, look for uh, Jeff Sype. Um, is uh, spelled, I mean, the Jeff Sype on a website is uh, Jeff, J-E-F-F. H S I P E dot com. Uh, same thing for LinkedIn. Um, you know, make sure you Google him on YouTube. He has a lot of great content on there as well. Uh, the URL that we have right now in front of me is Wild Complex. So I'm not <laughs> going to recite that, but um, you know, you could make sure to Google him. Uh, nah, but 
please check him out i mean you know like essentially everything I, I, there's nothing that he said today that you know i could disagree with you know what i'm saying like everything he said made perfect sense and um i hope people start have a list of 10 people to contact every day or every other day at least on linkedin if you're really looking for a position right now uh, with that said i hope everybody stays safe and healthy um continuously social distance yourself right now especially uh, for the betterment of the frontline workers all the medical staff all the ups drivers everybody man that's, that's in the front lines right now holding us down um in these trying times with that said though remember you can stream this podcast on all major uh, streaming platforms if you want to show some love hit the subscribe button right now most importantly rate and share this podcast with your colleagues with your cypher with your uh you know church group with your uh you know non-religious church group you know what i'm saying everything all the man slacks. all the all slacks, the slacks all the whatever channels that you win you know what i'm saying whether it's illegal or legal i don't care holla at your holla at your colleagues uh, and comrades follow us at 699 per pound on instagram facebook twitter for the latest lastly you can now support us uh, by buying us a coffee at coffee.com slash 699 per pound or set up a monthly donation at anchor.fm 699 per pound slash support all right that's a whole lot of info make sure you tune in peace 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 hey yo it's 699 per pound podcast